0: Hello, everyone. This is Mark Iskowitz, Executive Editor at mm and welcome to this edition of the mm and Podcast. From Nike to Patagonia, Merck to Airbnb, brands are taking positions on societal issues. In today's political climate, in which some say consumers are looking to companies and brands to step up and lead the way, this seems to make sense. But for every Nike and Merck, there's also a Pepsi and Uber and Gillette, brands that have encountered marketing landmines when seeking to align with social causes. Should healthcare organizations and brands weigh in on social issues? If so, which brands and which issues? Are there examples healthcare brands can look to for guidance in this area? To discuss all this, I'm really excited to welcome today's guest, Karen Tibbles. Hi, Karen.
1: Hey, Mark. Nice to be here.
0: Thank you. Great to have you. Karen is a veteran of the Insights business, having been on marketing research teams at Ogilvy, Merck, and Novartis, as well as doing MR for some of the research houses themselves, like Ipsos. And she took a detour for a degree in religion from, I guess it was the Earlham School of Religion, Indiana. That's right. Uh, while there, she took multiple courses in ethics and teaching ethics, and she found a theory that changed her view of consumer behavior. Since then, she's dedicated her professional life to helping marketers make better decisions about social issues, and she's written a book about it called Marketing Landmines. Again, Karen, welcome to the program.
1: Thanks, Mark. Happy to be here.
0: So you're, I'd love to, to delve into your background a bit. Um, you know, As we said, that includes years of doing pharmaceutical marketing research and a stint at a seminary, and this has provided you with a really you know, unique set of credentials relevant to what we're talking about today. And providing research and consulting on this area of endeavor is what you're now doing for a living. What was the catalyst to take that detour?
1: Well, I was at Merck um, working on early-stage new products, um, I had spent a lot of years working on launching uh, products. I launched two hypertension products for Novartis, and I launched Saffris for uh, Merck, uh, which was not a great success. Divan and Luttrell were wonderful successes, but Saffris, not so much. Um, and then I went to early stage products, and, you know, that was fine and good. But then I woke up one morning and had a, a religious calling. I literally had a religious calling. Um, and I said, oh, that's why I had to go to seminary. I had these thoughts for a long time about becoming a minister. and it, Hadn't made sense to me, and all of a sudden it did. Hmm. And uh, Merck was in the middle of downsizing, and they offered a package, and I volunteered. And uh, six months later, I was enrolled in seminary.
0: Now the, <laughs> yeah, that's amazing. So, um, you know, the, the, the background of working in pharmaceutical marketing research and then, you know, Going into a uh, religious seminary does not necessarily, you know, uh, strike one as the as a natural segue. Uh, but so talk about, you know, what was your experience in in seminary when you when you got there?
1: Yeah. So no, it doesn't make any sense, and I I totally did not know what I was there for. Well, I, actually, I, I sort of knew what I was there for. I was there because I thought there needed to be an organization to support people um, who religious people who wanted to apply their faith to their business life. Um, so mm. that's what I went there to do. And I helped to create an organization that would do that in the Quaker community. It was a mm-hmm. Quaker seminary. Mm. Um, but that wasn't really, that didn't make me come alive. It was important work, but it didn't make me come alive. And what I, what I realized after having been in seminary for a while is that I have been my whole life obsessed with understanding human behavior, like totally obsessed with understanding human behavior. And that's why I, loved market research. That's why I love the insights business. And and then I was doing the same thing in seminary. I was trying to understand how people apply their faith to their business life. So here I am doing the same thing, but in a slightly different way. And when I went to do my thesis, um, I found this theory by Jonathan Haidt and Jesse Graham called Moral Foundations Theory. And that theory just totally changed the way I looked at why people do what they do. Mm. It just really explained so much of what had baffled me. Um, Cultural issues like why are religious fundamentals so so caught up in uh, the abortion issue when there's nothing in the Bible about abortion? Like it didn't make any sense to me. Mm. Uh, But when I looked at the moral foundations theory, all of a sudden the light bulbs went off. And I said, ah. That's what's going on.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So, this moral
0: foundations theory,
1: moral foundations theory, which is uh, Jonathan Haidt and Jesse Graham's uh, theory, which Jonathan Haidt wrote a book on it called The Righteous Mind. And The Righteous Mind is a great book, but it's kind of long and it's kind of dry and it kind of doesn't tell you what to do about what with this theory. But as I dug into it, I found. Um, Some other researchers who've done research on moral reframing, um, Rob Willer and Matt Feinberg. And um, Rob Willer has this wonderful TED talk, which I highly recommend, on how to have better political conversations. But he hasn't published a book. And so I wrote my book, first of all, to make... uh height and graham's theory a little bit tighter and i've tried to make it very concise and easy to read i hope you agree mm-hmm. mark
0: yes yeah Now you mentioned the ted talk in the book and uh, uh and your your framework obviously you lay out in the book
1: yeah yeah and i thought he was missing some things so i i fixed up his theory a little bit and then i add the moral reframing part and and make it really relevant to marketers
0: mm-hmm. right right so the, you know tell me a little bit more about the book since you mentioned that and uh you know you say that you know um a, to to do um, a priori research on whether to uh, what the fallout could be, if you will, of, of, of taking a societal stand for a brand is a very time consuming endeavor. But there is a framework that is practical in an advertising environment, right?
1: Yeah, there's a shorthand. I mean, people self identify as either liberals or conservatives, and that drives a lot of behavior and a lot of attitudes um, that really explain the differences in our society, and The moral foundations that that Haidt and Graham identify, there's five of them, and liberals are high on two of them, and conservatives are just like moderate on all five. And so you can tell which tribe, liberal or conservative, people belong to by the kind of words they use and the values that they espouse. Mm -hmm. And it's a really good shorthand way to do research, it's just one question, it's not hard. A good way to recruit, you know, or go back to my market research route. It's a really good way to recruit um, people. And I did a study last year um, doing uh, looking at liberals and conservatives and attitudes towards the drug industry,
0: mm-hmm.
1: um, which I found some really interesting differences when I did that that way.
0: Was that a direct, um, you know, function of uh, your prior life working uh, for pharmaceutical companies um, or just something that you kind of decided to do, you know, based on your experience with the book?
1: I was so intrigued with how this theory played out in life, in real life, that I wanted to explore it with the drug industry. And I, I did present this at the Intelis conference last May. Mm,
0: okay.
1: Um, and it was attitudes towards the industry and attitudes towards um, drug prices specifically. And I was trying to get out what was driving the attitudes towards the prices. And no surprise, the exact same reaction I got in seminary, I got in this In this study, uh, where people would vilify, and I'll I'll use that word very advisedly. Um, You know, when I met people in seminary and they found out that I used to work at Merck, they would look at me like I came from the evil empire. Instead of working at a company that was trying to save people's lives literally mm-hmm. i was working with people who were working to save people's lives and that was just not recognized mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and you know again they thought i came from the evil empire once they got to know me they sort of said oh, okay maybe it's not as bad <laughs> but but mm-hmm. you know i i just faced this over and over again it was just so sad mm-hmm. that the drug industry isn't respected for the good that it does
0: And were there findings of that study that you did, um, any surprises there?
1: Well, what I found was that liberals were the major supporters of the drug industry, but they're also the biggest critics. So they're very conflicted because, um, as I said, liberals are really high in one of the moral foundations called care harm. And, you know, the care... The drug industry has care and harm for people at the at its core. I mean, that's at its fundamental being is that it's trying to save people's lives.
0: It's according to their mission statements, yeah.
1: Exa- exactly. But it's undercut by the fact that they have to charge money. Mm-hmm. And because the Care Harm Foundation uses the amygdala in the brain and because the money thinking that we do comes out of the frontal cortex – our brain kind of gets paralyzed in thinking about these two things. And we can't understand why we have to charge money for this thing when, we, when all we're trying to do is save people's lives. Mm-hmm. And it's just so hard for people who are so high in the care foundation to reconcile these two things. It just doesn't work very well.
0: Right, right. <laughs> new, new twist on the f- fight, flight, or freeze uh, psychology paradigm.
1: Exactly. Your, your frontal cortex gets flooded mm. and you can't think about money. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I asked people to come up with solutions for how you would deal with rare disease drugs that cost a lot of money. And they would come up with these bizarre ideas (laughs) (laughs) because they they don't know how to solve it. Of course, nobody knows how to solve this problem. This may be an unsolvable problem Mm -hmm. because it costs lots of money to bring drugs to market, to develop drugs. The failure rate is so high and people don't know this stuff. But the facts aren't going to change people's minds because the facts are dry. And, you know, pharma, the industry organization, tries to use facts about the middlemen. That's, that's what they've chosen. But the facts don't change people's minds because facts actually backfire and they boomerang. Mm-hmm. What, what changes people's minds is using um, an emotional appeal, which the moral reframing is one way to do that.
0: Right. So let's talk about that. And, and you know, another way to put that is by making certain people comfortable in one's uh, audience. And, uh, you know, you, you run workshops on this kind of thing as, as well.
1: Yeah. I run a workshop that I call Persuade, Don't Preach. Um, and the I, I use as the basis of it an Aesop fable um, about the sun and the wind where the wind and the sun decided to try to see who is more powerful. And the the uh, wind went first and it was trying to blow the cloak off of the traveler. And the, the traveler just holds her cloak much more tightly and doesn't let go and the wind loses. And then the sun comes out and shines and it's warm and the traveler takes off her cloak and sits down on it. And the sun wins. And the wind is preaching. The wind is doing what Nike did. The wind is doing what Gillette did. Mm-hmm. The sun is doing the moral reframing. The sun is making people relax and feel comfortable. Mm-hmm. So, what Willer and Feinberg showed in their academic research is that when we make people feel comfortable, make people feel heard, then they can start to hear what we're saying. Mm-hmm. And they've demonstrated in academic studies over and over again that they can change people's attitudes towards an issue by making them feel heard, by reflecting back their, their values to them.
0: Mm-hmm. Certainly when you gather a number of like-minded people in a focus group or something, by letting them know that they're amongst you know, people of uh, similar ideals, uh, that, that puts them at ease, uh, right?
1: Exactly. But you have to be sure to segment your groups by liberals versus conservatives because mm-hmm. the conservatives will shut up.
0: No, yeah, right. If they feel that there's, their opposition is in the room, so ex, to speak. Exactly. Right, right. Exactly. So, you know, most of our listeners know about Nike's move to take Colin Kaepernick's side and the former NFL quarterback's um, or, you know decision to kneel during the national anthem at NFL games, which was controversial to say the least. Uh, but it seems to have worked for Nike in increasing brand loyalty and probably worked to pick up market share, although the stock took an initial hit. At m M&M, m we've also encouraged healthcare brands to tackle tough societal issues like the anti-vax movement and gun violence and you know we have a, a initiative social initiative called inspire the end out right now um, hashtag Inspire the End, and actually, the deadline for that is coming up this Friday um, for people to submit. We're asking healthcare marketers to submit their best work to try to inspire the end of, of gun violence. Uh, Merck's Ken Frazier withdrawing from President Trump's business council a couple of years ago due to Trump's comments on the white supremacist Charlottesville rally was probably one of the most principled stands by a pharma company CEO that I can ever recall. Uh, and there are other issues like physician burnout, suicide that directly relate to the audiences of farm and device companies. So I wanted to ask you, Karen, can or should we expect healthcare marketers to get more involved in these issues?
1: Well, I would love to see the vaccine effort use these these principles because I think the vaccination, I, I think it's terrible what's happening with the uh, anti-vax movement. I actually did a study uh, back when I first started work for Ipsos, I did a study for Merck on that segmented the uh, anti-vaccine movement just as it was getting started 19 years ago. Um, and what that showed was that, and we, I didn't have the language at the time, but what that showed was that the, uh, anti-vaccine people were essentially very, um, anti-respect for authority. Mm-hmm. They were very low in respect for authority, which means that a doctor campaign won't work. Right. It just won't work.
0: But, uh, uh, the right mom campaign. The might. right mom
1: campaign could. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and another, uh, study was done out of, um. Out of Georgia, I think it was Emory, um, which showed it, that these bombs are particularly high in what's called purity, which is another moral foundation. So you, but what you could do is you could use the reverse of the purity foundation. You could use disgusting. And I talk about mm-hmm. in the book mm-hmm. how disgust is a really powerful motivator.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, like by showing the end result of disease. For yes, instance.
1: by showing the end result of the disease, you could really motivate. Um, these moms, or you could go at it with a you. You want to be a socially responsible mom to take care of the kids who can't get vaccines. Right,
0: right. That's so, a new twist on the uh, the care harm ethical zone. Exactly. Or, oh, okay. Well, it's also
1: belonging. It. It's also okay. I want to be a socially responsible mom. So I want to belong to that tribe. Mm-hmm. So there's ways you can play with the moral foundations and you want to test them. I mean, I come from a market research background. I'm going to say you want to test them. You know? <laughs> that's, that's just right. the way I roll. Right. Well, that, and
0: that's the way pharma companies roll too. They want yeah. to de-risk as much as possible before they do something.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Right. yeah. So I think that there's a lot of potential in the, in the anti-vaccine movement to really use the moral foundations to combat mm-hmm. what is, you know, could be an epidemic if we don't nip it in a bud. Sure. Um. And as far as taking on other issues, definitely possible. I mean, just keeping in mind that always at any brand, the care harm is at the foundation of a brand, so you can't violate that. You mm-hmm. have to respect that, and then you have to deal with the whole issue of cost. And there's ways you could probably work with that. Of that, I mean, I would love to work with pharma to help them work out ways to. Create a campaign that would be more compelling than their middleman campaign, hmm. um, but <laughs> um, but I think you know there are ways that that the industry could work more effectively once they know how to talk to these people mm-hmm. in a way that really motivates them.
0: Right, right, okay. Um, and and on the flip side, you know, what might be keeping them away might be an obvious question, uh, considering even for non-healthcare brands, this is a tricky area, but.
1: It is tricky. It is tricky. And it does, um, it is hard to do. Will and Feinberg did research to show that only 9% of people can actually do it. These these ideas that I'm talking about are invisible to us. We think that we know the right way. And we think that the other group is is being unreasonable and not really being ethical, we think of them as the enemy. And to, to say, well, you might have a point, that's hard to do. It's mm-hmm. hard to overcome.
0: Right. I think you say in the book that, you know, the 9% stat, um, that, you know, only a small percentage of people are capable of doing it. But copywriters and marketers would fall into that group.
1: I would hope so. And when I wrote the book, I thought that. But since then there's been research to show that, no, that's not true. Oh. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> a, that a gentleman a by the name of Andrew Tensler out of England did a study of marketing hmm. and advertising folks and compared it to the general population. And he showed, no, they're hmm. about the same. Wow,
0: wow. interesting. are okay. <laughs> about okay. the same. Okay, it uh, really is a polarized society. Yeah, it? it
1: really is a polarized society. And by talking the way we're talking, <coughs> we're making it worse.
0: Right. When oh, we preach, really?
1: okay. we make things worse. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. We just, you know, the reactions to, among conservatives to the Nike and Gillette campaigns, they didn't change anybody's mind. I mean, it, it worked for the Nike brand, but it worked for the Nike brand because their target audience was young liberals. Okay, it didn't work mm-hmm, for Gillette right. because their audience wasn't. Mm-hmm. And Gillette just took a PNG just took a write down of the Gillette brand. Mm-hmm. I mean, it really didn't work for Gillette. Right. It worked for Nike. Nike's sales are up full year um seven point five percent. Okay. But it you know so it works if your audience is the right audience and if you're aligned with it. But if you're not aligned with it, if you really don't understand who your target audience is, and this is like fundamental one-on-one marketing, understand who your target audience is. Mm
0: -hmm, mm -hmm. If
1: you don't understand your target audience, you're going to fail.
0: So the answer is it depends, and as you say, on the target audience. Um, And, you know, I I was... We were chatting, you know, prior to in the green room, so to speak, uh, prior to going on air, and I and I and I asked you, you know, can they really afford to be neutral? Um, You know, a lot of non-healthcare brands are saying we can't really afford to stay on the sidelines and still maintain our relevance. In Nike's case, perhaps they they were right in saying, okay, we can't stay on the sidelines; we need to take a stand considering our audience. Um, But I'm not sure that really applies for healthcare brands, and then you pointed out that healthcare brands um, are actually taking stands, even though they might not know, what their media choices, right?
1: That's right. I'm, we just had an example in the last um, few months with Novo and Allergan pulling ads from a Fox show because of a statement made by the host. Um, so when our media choices, in essence, are, are making statements about who we support. Um, but the interesting thing that I don't think Healthcare marketers realize is that uh, conservatives are less likely to respond to DTC efforts than liberals. At least, according to what they say.
0: Mm-hmm. So I, th- um, I find that, that fascinating. That um, you know uh, something in the makeup of conservatives uh, makes them uh, you know respond differently to to DTC ads.
1: Yeah, they're more likely to have high respect for authority, so they're mm-hmm. more likely to just do what their doctor says. They're less mm-hmm. likely to challenge what their doctor says. Right, right. Liberals are more likely to make their own decisions.
0: And DTC ads, obviously, the call to action is see ask your doctor. Your doctor. <laughs> ask and your doctor. if
1: you're not if you're not comfortable asking your doctor, if you just going to scoff
0: at that. That's right. Right. That's right. right.
1: That's right. Yeah. So, so you, you, as a DTC marketer, you could be wasting your money by targeting the middle of the country with your DTC ads.
0: And that's a great example of how you could use the ethical zone framework that you put layout lay in the book, and you could apply it to segmentation and, and messaging um, and, um, and other, you know, aspects of, of brand building. Um, are there, are there any other, uh, applications that, that kind of come to mind?
1: Um, I'll just go back to the care harm because care harm is just at the center of all pharmaceutical companies. So every time you do an ad, you need to really, um, and, and I think, I think marketers know this. I think they do it already instinctively, mm-hmm. but it's just at the center, um, But somehow as an industry, the drug industry has to get over this how much drugs cost or the drug industry is going to be in real trouble.
0: Right. So what is the the pricing uh, dialogue or controversy? How is that affecting um, the calculus of whether healthcare brands should um, weigh in on societal issues?
1: It makes it, it opens them up to charges of hypocrisy. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, because if you, if you come in on a societal issue and your house is not totally in order and you're viewed as being part of the evil empire, it's not really going to work. Mm-hmm. So, so I Dara would,
0: Prim should not be the one weighing in on societal issues. Uh,
1: absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> Martin Screlly, uh, uh, uh has a lot to answer for in this, in this world, um, as does a couple other people, such as uh, companies like Malincrot and um, a couple other ones. Um, but though, you know, what, oh, and, uh, Pan but you know, what, what I find interesting about those is those are all examples of really old products. Those aren't branded new products. You don't see that same sort of criticism of the branded new products. So there is some reticence to Mm -hmm. criticize branded new products. I mean, there's a huge sticker shock for the cost of, um, the new, uh, spinal mu- muscular atrophy drugs right. and yes. Um, there's a huge sticker shock and people just are totally overwhelmed by how much that costs. Um, but they do understand that it does take money. So it's, it's a hard decision. It's, it, I, you know, there's no easy answer. Mm-hmm, uh, I wish mm-hmm. I had an easy answer, but I think I've got a tool that can help people parse through it in a slightly different way that can help them get to a better answer.
0: Sure. Yeah. Um, and that's, you know, a really nice, you know, sort of segue to tell people, hey, you know, check out the book um, by increasing your understanding of, of these ethical zones and the potential minefields, fields. Um, if nothing else, we can increase understanding, you know, and then perhaps in our own little way, decrease the, the polarization. Um, at least in, in the marketing, in mar- from from a marketers' point of view, um, but um, you know, uh, you you say in the book uh, fairly early on, I think, or it might be toward the very end, that marketing is generally regarded as unethical. Perhaps that was you know uh, behind some of the uh, reactions you got in, in sem, uh, when people heard about your background. Uh, but you you then go on to give um, a six point code of general marketing ethics. Uh, so I just kind of thought we would we would wrap with that and. Um, uh, you know, and, and maybe run through those. I have them here too. Um, you know, the first one is don't lie. Uh, second one, don't be something that isn't in your customer's long-term best interest. Third one is precise targeting is good ethical behavior, but consider how those who aren't in your target will react if they do see it. Don't do anything that leads to increased fear or polarization or to poor outcomes systematically. Use fear and disgust responsibly and be respectful.
1: Yeah, I think the last one is really important because um, when we talk to people like they're the enemy, we're not being respectful. Mm -hmm. And I hope that this book will help people learn how to listen to people in a way to hear more about what they're saying. I would say one of the problems that we're facing as a society right now is we take the extremes as representing the other side. Mm -hmm. And they're not. They're the extremes. Right. Um, so we need to come up with a way to listen to people more carefully. And I'm hoping that this book and the the free workshops that I offer, um, will help people come to a way to listen to people more responsibly.
0: Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, great. And I look forward to seeing, you know, whether more healthcare brands really do decide to, um, even, you know, enter into consideration of, you know, whether to tackle some of these tough societal issues. Um, it'll be really interesting to see going forward. Um, and uh, we'll we'll cover that in, in MMM.
1: Great, great. And I have a blog that I'd love people to subscribe to Please, at yeah. um, EthicalFrames.com. And I I I know Mark has been reading it. I would say the content is provocative. I uh, I'm not afraid of tough issues. <laughs> I'm also offering a free white paper on the question of should brands uh, take a stand on social issues. Um, that I cover the history of brands taking a stand and the, some of the statistics that I quoted about Nike sales and Gillette's mm-hmm, sales. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, and some of the research that shows that taking a stand actually doesn't work.
0: Yeah, great, great. It's uh, based in the research, so. Yes, it's
1: all based in research. Of course, I'm a market researcher. <laughs> <laughs> right, right,
0: would think nothing less. Okay, so um, we're gonna just do a couple of housekeeping items here. Um, you know, Inspire the End, as we mentioned, which is mm social initiative uh, to inspire the end of gun violence uh, is, is drawing to a close. The final deadline to submit your work is this Friday, um, so you can find out more about that on our Twitter page um, or by going to the website. I think we have it up on the homepage. Um, The one that we did for uh, the uh, vaccination effort did very well. Um, What was that one called again, Carrie? That was... Convince Me To Vax. Convince Me To Vax. Thank you. Uh, Hashtag Convince Me To Vax. We got almost 100 submissions there. Um, And uh, so, you know, these are really, really nice to see our community kind of getting involved in this. Uh, And then also we have the MMM Awards coming up October 10th. Um, where we're going to um, hand out more than 30 awards um, spanning healthcare media, marketing, uh, and people and teams uh, doing great work, uh, including data and analytics. Uh, so um, you can get your tickets on our through our website uh, for uh, the, the ceremony that's taking place in New York City the evening of October 10th. Um and uh that's about it. So um for uh, Karen Tibbles, I want to so thank you again for uh, for joining us. It's been a pleasure.
1: Thank you Mark. I appreciate it.
0: Sure. Uh and everyone out there, thank you for uh, joining us today. Uh, enjoy the rest of your day. See you next time.